This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers clients earn interest of up to 4.08% on the uninvested cash in their brokerage accounts? That's just one of the many reasons clients use Interactive Brokers to trade stocks and options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more globally. Minimize your costs to maximize your returns. Of course, rates are subject to change. Learn more at ibkr.com slash interest rates. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Bullard, 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 the hawk comes back and sinks markets. I got a $1,500 water bill this month. Now that's inflation. We also got hot inflation numbers this week. That's a concern. And our guest today, Brian Shannon from alphatrends.net. All this and much more on episode number 804 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. And a very good day to you, and welcome to the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this week, every week, of course, coming together to figure out what's going on in the world of finance and how it actually applies to you and what we can do about uh, using the information to create financial security and success for you and your family. That's what we do here. It's an educational platform, if you will, to really understand the the workings, the 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 integral de intricate details of what's happening with regard to the world of investing. And that covers a lot of areas. It's not just stocks, not just bonds, of course, or mutual funds, ETFs. It's the concepts that go behind all of it and why maybe we want to be in certain areas of the world when things are going a certain way. And maybe we want to be out of those when things are going another way. Maybe it's due to the fact that we are seeing that the dollar is weak or strong, or we project that, and where do we want to be with that in mind? That's a, a fundamental approach. Our guest today, by the way, is going to bring us a technical approach where you can marry those two things together and utilize your outlook as well as confirmation, utilizing charts, indicators, and a whole bunch of great tools. So that's going to be fun today. What we do know, what's happening though, what are we going to talk about? Well, it's got to be the whipsaw that's going on in markets. The 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 absolute... Uh, the, the, just the, the lack of conviction. There's been conviction to the upside this year, but at the same time, some of it seems, well, a little bit excessive. And you got to be wondering, where did all that optimism come from to begin with in the face of all the things we know to be and what's going on today and potentially what we're looking at in the future? Those ideas of what's happening right now, and, you, and, and when you look at all those things together, you have to wonder why are people bidding up stocks and is it something that can hold? Some of the things that they're doing are interesting because we've seen stocks really fall from grace down 75, 80%. And maybe we're seeing signs that these companies are not going to go out of business, therefore maybe pose an interesting opportunity to buy into. And then there's others that look like they're still careening lower from a 
business standpoint, and they're buying the stock anyway. We saw that last week with uh, Upstart.com, the Upstart company, and what they did was they said, well, uh, here's our numbers, but we're guiding down somewhere in the neighborhood of about 50% reduction in revenue moving forward. Stock was up 28% that day after first being halted at the request of the company on the uh, output of the news and then dropping 8% when the halt was lifted and then up 30% by the end of the day. Got to wonder about that. What is that all about? Strange circumstance. But it's something that's interesting. So, uh, as I've probably not mentioned, I don't think I told you my name, Andrew Horowitz, for those of you who knew. For those of you that are not new, hey, uh, welcome back to the show. Welcome back to all that we do here. Check out... Uh, everything that we do over on thedisciplinedinvestor.com. The strategies that we use for client portfolios, by the way, are on there. And if there was ever a time to start thinking about using us, it's now with all the things that we see in the future. So just a point of reference that I think it's it's high time that if you haven't done so, if you've been on the edge or thinking about it, go over there, contact us. Let's figure out if there's a way that we can work with you. But uh, everything else is going pretty well down here in South Florida. It's sunny. It's nice out. The studio's an office that we have down here in South Florida, most things. I mean, uh, my wife sent me an email yesterday. She says, uh, what's this? I look at it. I look at my water bill. It's $1,578 for 25 days of usage. Now, I usually get a bill of about 150 maybe 200 maybe. That's normal. Maybe the summer months are a little bit higher with, with water usage for sprinklers. That's some serious inflation, I thought. What the hell is going on? Fact of the matter is, something was weird. So I did a little bit of research, I did a little bit of work, I did a little bit of investigation. It appears that somehow 56,000 gallons were used for the month. That's like filling up four swimming pools. And I didn't do that. I didn't have anything on for an excessive period. It turns out when I did some further investigation that there was a four-day period that there was 10,000 gallons used. And I don't know how that's even possible. So something's a little bit weird. The sprinklers are on for 14, 15 minutes. I did some testing. I looked at the meters. The main line looks like it's okay. Uh, we got a specialist coming for leaks, a leak uh, finder, uh, <laughs> the leak whisperer on Monday. And uh, I think it's the sprinklers. Because when I turned it on, I saw that dial moving around pretty fast. So we'll have to get all the forms into the city. Maybe we'll get a little bit of a reprieve, reimbursement on some of the costs. So... Uh, that will be hopefully good. But uh, good news, it wasn't inflation. Bad news, lots of little issues got to be done now to fix that. It's a house. It's what happens. Now, speaking of Monday, markets are closed in honor of President's Day. So at least there's that, a three-day weekend again. A lot of those in the beginning of the year when we finish off December from Christmas into uh, New Year's and then into a couple of them, I think, already this year. Now, I want to discuss really quickly before we get to our guests what happened Uh, This week, just very quickly, it seems that inflation is the bottom line, kicking its head up and again, causing a lot of problems, even though the CPI and PPI didn't really, didn't seem to really spook investors too much. It happened on Thursday when Bullard came out and spoke and he said, you know, maybe there's a chance that we could have a 50 base point increase and that sunk markets dramatically. That totally took it down. He's a non-voting member right now. He's known to be hawkish. We know that. And when he pushed the idea of another half a percent 
move maybe coming up soon. That was one thing. Then we also looked back and saw that Loretta Mester, who was a Fed, who is a who is a Fed official, I believe, a voting Fed official, said that she also supported the potential for a larger rate increase. So there you have it. And what's going on? That one-two punch right there with the idea that before that was, hey, we have this you know bogus disinflation thing that the Fed keeps on trying to spread, but more so the probability of just only another 25 basis points are in our future. But then we got you know side-smacked by the fact that we saw a hot CPI 0.7% month over month, 6.4% year over year. Year over year is, when I say okay, it's within reason, but the month over month was really hot. And then the CPI number is still coming in pretty strong. Everything about this wasn't great. Bottom line is that it really caused some big problems. And then we see that on top of that, that the Fed officials are trying to calm down an overly exuberant market condition. Uh, That's what you get. You get this kind of movement. So there you have it. So before we get to our guest, I want to talk about interactive brokers for a moment. So I want to talk about the IBKR event trader. Now, if you haven't tried this and checked this out, you really need to take a look. Because what's interesting about this is that it's a, it's a new way to trade futures. You could use what's called event contracts to trade your opinion on yes or no questions in key CME, which is the futures markets, uh, including equity indices and energy, there's metals, there's foreign currencies, for example. And what you could do as, as an interesting way for just to think about how this could work, let me kind of generate this. You, you could say, okay, will the price of gold close above $2,000 today or not? Yes or no? And you could take a position on the potential price movement. And, and, and at the same time, you gain exposure while limiting your risk. So you can learn more about this at eventtrader.interactivebrokers.com. I really want you to go take a look at this because it's a really fascinating, fascinating new way to actually trade futures with, at the same time, limiting your risk. So it's eventtrader.interactivebrokers.com. And our guest today is Brian Shannon. You know, he's, listen, Brian has been on the show before. He's been a friend of mine for years. I think we we all started this journey about the same time together with the social media, with the, the, the Brian does videos on technical analysis. He's a full-time trader. He's an educator. He's the author of the highly regarded book called Technical Analysis Using Multiple Timeframes. And more importantly, the new book that is out, which we're going to talk about today, yeah, that's a hardcover. Maximum trading gains with anchored VWAP, the perfect combination of price, time, and trends. So lots of experience going on today. Um, he, he he has a tremendous amount of followers, the number one, one ranked um, expert on Twitter in the categories of investing and trading. Uh, just does a great job on YouTube. Uh, just tells you how it is and has been one of those guys, I'll tell you this, Brian, and then we can get into this, is one of those guys that has some phrases and some ideas that are going to be long-lasting for decades and decades, centuries, forever to come. <laughs> Probably, no kidding, I'm not kidding about this, utilized in classroom and educational settings to help people understand uh, about the psychology of trading, because that's kind of what technical analysis is, um, and the idea of, of chart trading and all that. So thank you for coming on and, and, and spending some time with me today. 
Great being back, Andrew. It's been a while. And, uh, you know, as you said, I think the first time that uh, I did your podcast, it was pretty much brand new, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe 12 years ago or so. Yep. Does that sound yep. right? Yeah, we started in 07. So probably, you know, as we got warmed up into what we were doing, what the hell this thing was all about. But yeah, one of the first first people, I think you were just starting out back then, weren't you? I mean, give, give or take. Well, I, you know, I started in the business in 1991, uh-huh. um, but social media, when that kind of, yeah. you know, whatever that was, I think that was about 15 years ago. Right. And, you know, doing the YouTube videos, you know, since day one of YouTube is actually Google. I, I was uploading to the Google. Um, they used to have their own video service and then they acquired uh, YouTube. So that's when, uh, you know, my videos from there got transferred over and that sort of thing. So, mm. yeah, it's been a fun journey and uh, made some great friendships along the way, most important including yourself. Yeah, it's been great. So let's talk a little bit about this and let's talk about it in terms of uh, an audio cast, if you will, because sometimes when we talk about technical analysis and charting, and by the way, for all of those that are listening and you hear the word technical analysis, calm down. It's not a big deal. Well, this is, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a fancy word for understanding trends and resistance support and, and price uh, movement on a chart, which gives you a historical backdrop of what's going on. So instead of knowing that the stock, where's the stock trading? 52. Okay. What does that mean? Well, you could see what's happening and then putting some, we'll call it indicators and some smarts into the process. So, but let's back up a little bit. You know, you said you were started in the business, uh, in 91. Um, and, uh, I want to talk a little bit about what it was that excited you and what got you involved with? And at the same time, please explain what is technical analysis and charting. Okay. What got me interested was, um, you know, I, I remember there was a company that uh, I, I, I just had an interest in the stock market, basically from uh, watching Wall Street Week with my dad when I was, uh, you know, a, a teen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then um, I think it was maybe a junior in high school. I used to go to the library and read these investment letters. And there was one that's still around today called the Cabot Market Letter. Oh, sure. And they were talking about this company called Advanced Polymer Systems. And they said, you know, we like it if it gets above $5 per share. And I'm thinking, that seems crazy. Why would you want to pay more for it? And they had a chart there and it just made sense looking at the chart saying, Hmm. well, yeah, if it gets above there, well, it looks free to run. It's been stuck underneath that level. And then I read Stan Weinstein's book about, uh, you know, technical analysis, which is a a great classic. Yeah, classic. um, And really explained explained it in, in plain English terms. And, and I was hooked. So I started reading everything I could about technical analysis. So my, you know, my opinion of what technical analysis is, it's, it's using price data to, and, and historical tendencies of uh, the cyclical flow of money through markets to find out where we are in that cycle, anticipate the next move of where the market might go. It's not really about, uh, you know, prediction, uh, but anticipate, and most important, then look at the chart and say, if I'm wrong, based on, you know, the definition of trend, where do I get out? And the definition of an uptrend is higher highs and higher lows. So if I buy it as the momentum starts to emerge in a stock, then I want to hold it as long as it's making higher highs and higher lows for my time frame. If it breaks that pattern of higher lows, then I'll get out and move to the sidelines 
and, you know, look for something else. But it, it allows us to, you know, formulate our plan and, and you can use it as a standalone basis or uh, to complement any fundamental analysis. And, and really, you know, the techno fundamental uh, approach uh, is, is what a lot of people call it, is really, you know, marrying the fundamentals and what does this company do? What's their position in terms of their cash flow and where they are in relation to their sales and competition uh, and all that traditional traditional analysis that you learn in schools um, and combining it with some timing. And that's, that's it. It's about timing and coming up with a plan. You know, it's interesting. You talk about that. We have something called quanta funded technique, which is using quantitative analysis, then overlaying fundamentals and technical. But you know, right now, as we speak at this moment of the market dynamic that has been evolving, if you are anywhere near fundamental analysis, you're going to bang your head because even though markets are defying gravity from a fundamental analysis standpoint, right? Um, and I talked about, I think on this week's DH Unplugged show, I talked about that I had the opportunity to have a breakfast with, uh, well, a, a, a quiet and a very uh, intimate breakfast with about 500 people. Uh, and the main speaker was this, this dude from Merrill Lynch. And he's talking about a bunch of stuff to people who, frankly, don't understand. It was just a, they're not investment people. And he, and he blows past this idea that, you know, we see $200 in, in, in S&P earnings for the end of the year. And I'm like, whoa, that's pretty light. But then he kind of said, but you know what? We see that, you know, just hold your hold where you're at. Things will play out, blah, 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 blah. I'm thinking, whoa, wait a minute. Fundamentally, markets are so overvalued right now. Fundamentally, if, if according to what he's saying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there, but the problem with that is, and it, it's interesting, it's very subjective because, well, it's overvalued compared to, is it overvalued to, uh, what anticipations are and what should they actually be? Is it about the interest rate environment? You know, what is that, the, the subjective nature of that? And if you look at stocks, for example, recently that not only come out and guide lower in a horrible fashion, but are up 30% the next day. Tell me how you reconcile fundamentals and technicals. Yeah, that's, I mean, it, it's, it's so true. And, and, you know, both fundamentals and technicals are backward looking. We only look at what has occurred. And then we can look at guidance and that sort of thing. But, you know, everything we have, has, as far as what to analyze, uh, has already occurred. So we're looking for trends. We're looking for what could possibly come. The market is known as a discounting mechanism. That's one of the principles uh, of technical analysis outlined by Charles Dow. And what a discounting mechanism means, I know you know this, uh, Andrew, is that, you know, the market discounts what's already occurred. And it's anticipating where the market, where the Fed will be, where the economy will be six to month, nine months down the road. So you often see there's a phrase that all the bad news comes out at bottoms and good news comes out at tops because it's already been discounted. And once that bad news comes out of the market at these lows, well, it can't get any worse. So, so you see, you know, all the bad news about uh, recently, you know, uh, tech companies laying people off. And every time they announce a layoff, you know, you think, oh, wow, their business is bad. You know, I've got to sell that stock. But as soon as they announce that, what happens to the price of stock? It goes higher because they're looking, you know, the, the Wall Street is looking at that company and saying, they're cutting costs. They're yeah, preparing for the future. Fiscally yeah. responsibility is, is entering the room. The children are, are gone and the adults have taken over. 
Yeah, and, and no more complacency and riding this thing. We've got to do what's right for growing this business. It's it's looking at it and saying we can run more efficiently and we're you know cutting costs where we can so we can improve our profits and maybe adjusting for whatever the market, you know, their product line or whatever what the market is doing. But anticipate, you know, they're planning for the future and the market looks at that and says, this company's doing the correct thing. Like you said, the adults have entered the room. This is responsible. We've been selling their stock down because they have not been addressing these issues and this bad news keeps coming out. Now they're addressing these issues. We can look at what this company might be in six to nine months once these savings start hitting and, you know, efficiencies start coming into play. Once they get that ship righted, then maybe they'll be able to start hiring again. And, you know, the, the whole cycle repeats, but it's an anticipatory. It's not based on yesterday's news. It's not based on the last Federal Reserve announcement. It's about where will monetary policy be in six to nine months. And that's what we're trading on today. Yeah, the only problem with that is if you have a ship that's going down river and start ticking on water because there's too many people on, you start throwing people off and you applaud the ship due to that. Fact is, they still have people in the water that are drowning. And those people that are drowning are no longer consuming, right? And the ship itself, Absolutely. they still have a hole in it due to outside issues. And we're sitting there congratulating the Titanic guys for continuing to play the music until the ship goes down. Wait. You're absolutely correct on that, which is why, you know, you mentioned some of the phrases that I talk about and the one that I've, uh, you know, really known for and what I say constantly is only price pays. When we're investing in stocks, when we're trading stocks, whatever your time frame is, the only thing that really matters at the end of the day is price action. You can argue about, you know, Biden still selling, you know, uh, oil out of this SPR um, and that means oil should do this, but you know, look at the price action. What is actually happening with price? And only price pays. You can argue till you're blue in the face, but, you know, price action is always going to win. Price, the market is right. You know, most of the time, you, we can argue well, that market you know, is always price right. is correct. And no, no, market is right. always right. That, that's only because it has to be right. It, it's, just a, it's just a matter of fact, right? It's if it closes at that number, that's what number closes at. Now, if it say, well, it's only valued at that, it doesn't matter. That is the price today. Now, whether or not it's going to get to the other price, another story. Sure, and that's that's where our you know personal edge comes in. We might be the greatest fundamental investor who says the market is currently discounting this, but I see it differently. So you buy the dip, you buy on the way down. But the thing is that you know to to marry it with technicals, you say, well, wait a minute. You know, I realize that this stock, this company is being undervalued, but you know, last year we were in a bear market and everything gets sold off. Mm -hmm. So why not just wait until this ship writes itself, as you mentioned, and the stock starts to turn sideways, and then once it starts going higher again, buy when it's going higher. Don't buy the dip by strength after the dip. Mm -hmm. Let the institutions do the dirty work of buying it and writing the ship. And once that's occurred and it's, it, it shows that the buyers are in control, then it's time for us to get involved, set our stop, manage risk based on our time frame, and let the market work for us. I want to switch over to something because you've uh, obviously observed the crypto markets, which were pretty much we can't say they were trading on fundamentals. I mean, basically, I mean, there was all technicals, right? But, and I don't know, maybe I'm going to ruffle a few feathers here. But when I was watching in the early days in particular, uh, the crypto markets, it seemed like a really basic trading book of, you know, looking at 
you know, where was the low from before? When did you have a flush out on higher volume buy at that point? And then they'd ramp it up or exactly opposite, right? Where, where we'd get a flush and a run on high volume and then sell it off at the top there. And this was like a, you know, a rinse and repeat kind of thing where people were using very rudimentary, um, st- I'll call them starter indicators. Like for example, you know, on CNBC, they talk about RSI all the time. I'm like, why are you guys talking about this? I don't understand. You know, the company's got an RSI of a, you know, a plus 20 now. It's over the top. And, you know, when you look at the MACDs, the Mac moving average, I'm thinking, oh, those are all like what first timers put on their charts, right? You know what I'm exactly. saying, right? Exactly. Yeah, you know, of and, course. And, 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 and moving averages, I don't complain about. I don't, have, I don't have any problem with moving averages. You know, that's, I think, gives you a Likewise. little bit, you know, it gives you a little bit more of a, uh, an average feel, I guess the point, <laughs> you know. Where yeah, it's just an objective, yeah. you know, measurement of trend based on a time-based uh, uh, average. And the thing that I also like about moving averages, if there's anything to like about them, which I don't think there's really any truth to them in, fr- in terms of their power, the power comes from the fact that everybody else is watching them too. So those 100%. are, that's all that's involved there. And I think that, exp- that, that deserves some explanation for people that, that, cause I find it really funny and, and you do, and you know what we're talking about, but let's talk about for a second, the power of the psychology of the market with the group think dynamic on, let's just call it the 50 day moving average. Just, just that, just that very basic point. Like, where is the power in that, Brian? Oh, I love this subject, and I've got a great explanation for it. So I don't know if this was a setup, but we didn't talk about it before. All these items that I have, by the way, I didn't send. I usually send them out. Hey, say some topics for discussion. I didn't send anything to Brian today. He wrote me today. He goes, anything you want me to prepare? I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'll stump you. Don't worry about it. That's what I said, right? But if you do, I'll just say, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, maybe another guest knows, but not me. Um, So anyways, to the 50-day moving average, you know, I've I've done these talks in front of large groups of people, you know, like like you do. And, you know, I've asked them, you know, their technical analysis, you know, they're there to hear about technical analysis. So they have a little bit of an understanding of technical analysis to start. And let's say there's 200 people in the room. I'll say, you know, everybody, you know, raise your hand if you look at price action on a chart. And I kind of look around the room and go, what, what's the point of this? I, I don't get it. And I just say, please indulge me. So everyone puts their hand up in the air. We've got 200 hands in the air. And I say, well, drop your hand if you uh, don't look at volume and maybe 10 hands drop. And then I say, raise your hand, lower your hand if you don't look at the 50-day moving average and maybe another 20 hands drop. So now I've got 170 hands in the air that say they look at a 50-day moving average. Right. I say, okay, now put your hands down. We just saw that 170 people look at the 50-day moving average. Why is that? And they kind of look around, scratch their head, and it's like, well, just I was taught that way. That's yeah. what everybody does. That's, that's <laughs> what we do. And, and they, I, I say, well, think about it. Why? And, and they honestly don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they've been taught, it's on every chart that you see, you know, the IBD in their newspaper, they have a 50 day moving average. Uh, it's referenced on the news all the time and that sort of thing. So everyone's looking at this thing. That is what makes it a self reinforcing, maybe, uh, you know, maybe even self fulfilling prophecy when you see a stock, action around the 50-day moving average. So let's say we see a stock go from 40 to 60, and it's, let's just say, two standard deviations above the 50-day moving average. What might happen there is some short sellers will say, I'm going to short this stock, and I'm going to cover it when it gets down to the 50-day moving average. Mm -hmm. So they start to add supply. Well, the big institution that owns 5 million shares 
you know, they were saying, we got to sell some in a strength. The old adage, sell some when you can, not when you have to. So they say it's two standard deviations above. I'm going to sell, you know, a million shares down to the 50-day moving average. So they add supply as well. And then other people say, well, it's extended. I'm just going to, you know, not get involved here. So they remove any potential source of demand. So we have, you know, some people that aren't maybe aware of the 50-day moving average. So it slowly drifts down to the 50-day moving average. As it gets to that 50-day moving average, the short sellers start to say, well, it's reaching my goal because this is where it typically finds support. So I'm going to cover my shares. So they start to stick bids in and they stop adding supply, number one, and then the two, they add demand near mm -hmm. that 50-day moving average. Right. The institution who sold a million shares down to the 50-day moving average, he doesn't want to see, she doesn't want to see the stock just crush through that 50-day moving average. So they might say, well, you know, we have 4 million shares now. Let's bid for a half million shares at the 50-day moving average. Maybe we get 200,000 shares. Who knows? That's okay. We like this stock for the long term. So they stop adding demand. Uh, supply rather, and they start adding demand in that area to to fir to help firm the stock up. So they're in there saying, "I want this stock to find support at the 50-day moving average because no one is concerned if it holds there. But if it starts breaking below, other people might sell, and I need to protect my four million share position." And then we have all the people who've tr been trained that the 50-day moving average often acts as support on the sidelines, and they'll stick their bids in and add another source of demand. So we have less supply, we have more demand, and lo and behold, it often turns into that level of support. Not every single time, of course, which is why I look at it as a level of interest to say, now it's on the 50-day moving average. I want to look to the shorter-term timeframes and see if the buyers are, in fact, starting to you know show support in here and if it can start to bounce from this level i want to buy it with my stop underneath that recent low and you know that's it's psychology like you said i mean there's just like people buy on earnings in earnings surprise why does the stock go up because it surprised everyone and you know all these people start adjusting their models and say wait a minute we own way too few shares of this stock i want to buy a bunch of it and you get a, a fundamental catalyst as well. Well, the, the, the other part, the other thing that happens is that um, your institutions can use it as cover, right? You know, the concept of, well, why'd you buy it there? Well, it got to the 50, you know, or, you know, mm -hmm. you, you, could, you have an analyst who is putting out something and says, or, or it works on both sides, right? Support or resistance. But on support, you can get on, on 200, the 150, the 100, whatever you want to use, the 50. That is something that's an easy cover for you to utilize as a very basic reason to buy. And then all the things that you said come together with another point. It's what has happened. And it is creating a, uh, just, just a, a very basic um, process that just happens because everybody else is believing that everybody else is believing that everybody else is believing this. Right. So yeah. it, and it yep. becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that, well, the 50 day moving average, it's a it's a really good point. Why they pick 50? Uh, we could decide that. Why the you know, 100? You got the couple of guys on TV talk about the 150. But I, it doesn't matter. Point is, whatever it is they use is an interesting one. Now, I have friends that I know that are newsletter writers that do something kind of interesting. They actually retrofit. A moving average to where they think is major support or resistance for a stock. What do you think about that? 
I see nothing wrong with that. Um, really? I, I mean, if, if, if it works for them, Andrew, I'm never going to argue. Um, what I, I, I'm going to switch gears, though, and tell you what I think is more important than these time-based moving averages, and that is the volume-weighted average price. Mm-hmm. The anchored volume weight. So the volume weighted average price, just so your uh, listeners know, it's basically like a dollar cost average. When you buy a thousand shares of some stock or mutual fund 12 months in a row, at the end of the year, you bought $12,000 worth. Some you, One month you might have bought 100 shares. Another month you might have bought 200 shares. Another, another month you might have bought 38 shares mm-hmm. as the stock price fluctuates. Right. And your dollar cost average is basically your volume weighted average price. So the way that that worked itself into the stock market was in 1988, it became a measurement for uh, institutions mm-hmm. to to see how well their order was executed. It's used as a benchmark. It how, says, how far or away from this number? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if the stock traded between 25 and 27 that day and the volume weighted average price was 20, what did I say, 25 and 27, if, the, if it was $25.80, cents. That means that was the average price that the stock transacted at based on every single share that traded, not just based on, you know, the, mm-hmm. the high and the low divided by two. Right. <laughs> it was right. something really right. simple. Right. So if the broker came back to them and said, hey, we, you know, we filled you 500,000 shares at 26.35. Wait a minute. You paid 55 cents more than the VWAP. You know, I'm done with you. That's it. You've screwed me over before. I'm going over to this broker instead. If they came in and said, you know, the VWAP was 26.20 and we filled you at 25.55, well, then great. This guy's working, looking out for me. So that's how it evolved. And then- Well, then you know, it blew could, up, blew up, blew up with brokers as a really important feature of, of their daily practice and of utilizing it from a daily support or resistance point. Yeah. And, and it's self, again, self-reinforcing mm-hmm. because what they started to do was build programs around this right. to buy the stock throughout the day. And they would do it in time increments. So for instance, if 5% of the average daily volume for XYZ stock is done in the first five minutes of the day, they set their program to buy 5% of the volume of, of that order. You know, so let's say it's 100,000 shares. They'll mm-hmm. buy 5,000 shares in that first five-minute period. If the second five-minute period, it only does 2% of the daily volume, then they buy 2,000 shares. Midday, you know, it's 0.5%. So they buy 500 shares instead. And th- what they're trying to do is minimize their their uh, market impact cost. Right. They don't want to go in and just buy 100,000 shares all at once and jam the price of the stock higher. Mm-hmm. They want to do it slowly and methodically and try to get that volume weighted average price. They, it's, it's you know, just the, the basic, you know, what an average person could expect to pay for that stock, uh, you know, without any special, you know, trading skill. This is the the level that you should be able to obtain uh, that day. And, and and then what they do is this algos now that could say, Hey, we want to buy it, you know, 10 cents under VWAP throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Whenever it hits, yeah. and bang, bang, I mean, bang, the, bang, bang. Yeah. And the, the VWAP orders are just huge. What, what, you know, remember a couple of years ago when the AMC and GIA, yep. Uh, GameStop, you know, when they went to Congress and they were, you know, having people testify, one of those people was Ken Griffin of Citadel. And Citadel, you know, Ken Griffin just this month was named as the all-time leading uh, um, uh, uh, profit 
PL uh, for hedge funds. Uh, he's made more money in a hedge fund than anybody else. And, you know, through their market making operations at Citadel, uh, they control, I think it's, you know, 38% of all the volume in the market or so, something, you know, super large like mm -hmm. that. So they, you know, they brought him in to say, you know, to talk about GameStop and that. What he said, though, wasn't what he said about GameStop and that didn't really interest me, but he said to, Madeline Albright, or that was uh, Maxine Waters. He said, you know, the way that we do orders, you have to understand, is it's based around, they're, they're primarily uh, algorithmic orders, and most of those are based around VWAP. And he went on to say, you know, these VWAP orders are small orders because they're time slicing them up, and they could be for a day, a week, a month, or even longer. So here we have the most profitable you know, trader ever, uh, he, he and his firm. Mm -hmm. And what he said is, this is how they do their business. They do it around VWAP and anchored VWAP for, you know, a month to date, year to date. So what we start to see is that when you apply the anchored volume weighted average price to a specific event, such as an earnings report, an IPO from a Federal Reserve announcement, anything that provides a real shock to the uh, to the supply and demand in the market. When we anchor a volume weighted average price to that, what it tells us is with 100% certainty is who's in control from that point, the buyers or sellers. If it's above the VWAP, the buyers are in control. If it's below, the sellers are in control. There's no way you can argue that. It is 100% based on the absolute volume and price mm -hmm. over that time. So it provides these just amazing levels of support and resistance. It blows my mind every day. I've been using this for, you know, 18 years and just wrote a book about it, but it still blows my mind how accurate these levels can be as support and resistance levels. So I, you know, Wrote a 260-page book about it, which sounds kind of crazy, uh, but it's yeah, that's really like, That's like writing a 260-page book. Some people may think about the color brown. You know what I mean? It's like it's like it's amazing, but 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 I'm not I'm not putting down about that. It's not my point. My point yeah, is brown's a lovely color. It is a lovely color. It comes in many shades. <laughs> is my point. You know? It, it, no, but but seriously, no. It's not what I'm saying is it's not like that because I know the intricacies of it. And and you know you know you and I well we've talked about this before. So so we use something very similar called market profile. Still volume weighted. Yep. It's all volume based, and and that's the important thing that I think a lot of people miss. And what's interesting is that I think. That what people need to understand about the VWAP, which was the old discussion, which was like, give me the VWAP for year to date or, or from, you know, give me the 10 minute, minute VWAP since the open or the low or the high. Yep. The thing about the anchored VWAP and what's different about um, where, where Brian has has brought this to to everyone out there to utilize is that there is a a point somewhere on a chart of some time frame. That you can then say this point or multiple time frames, you know, you could choose whatever you want, but or do it on multiple ones, uh, and seeing as a see, especially if there's a confluence of 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 resistance points on multiple time frames, which is always important. Which that means if his first book would basically marry his second book, that's what you would get: the confluence of time frames with using anchored VWAP, right? Hundred uh, percent, yeah. So um, the 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 thing is, I've always wondered, and I want to talk to you about. Um, and, and that's what your book talks about, by the way. And and this book is available on Amazon. It's available on Google Books. It's, it's everywhere, right? You can get this book. It's on Google Books. It's on Apple uh, Apple Books. Right. Um, those are the three so far. Right. 
And I'm telling you, it's this, this big, solid, beautiful. It's, it's eight. Is it? Yeah, it's eight and a half by eleven. I think it's eight and a half by eleven. This book. It's a big. I think book. it's eight by ten. I, it's yeah, by 10. but it's nice. Uh, anyway, so the point is that uh, that I was getting to what was one of the things it teaches you, and, and the one thing that is probably I I would I think tell me if I'm wrong, but I think the most important part of this is understanding where the hell to put the damn anchor. That that yes. is that seems to be like. If I could figure that out, I got this, right? So give that, me, that, give me so, absolutely. So because so because if you if you want to randomize, you can randomize. The point is that extra added level of precision. When, when I say precision, I'm not talking about like, well, it's not twenty seven twenty five; it's twenty seven twenty six. I'm not talking about that. I'm right. talking about when you're looking at a chart with you know three hundred mm-hmm. data points, whether it's minutes, day, days, weeks. I don't care. Where on there am I putting this? Right. So is it going to be on the swing low? What's swing low? It's just where it went down and then it went back yep. up. Um, yep. Is it going to be at you know a multiple resistance point where there's maybe the triple top? You, you hit the first one, for example. Um, what, tell me examples of, of some of these. Okay. Well, um, you know, first of all, of, of course, you have the daily volume weighted average price, and that's the benchmark for one day. That's not of much use or interest for most people unless you're just an active day trader. But the interesting thing is there, Andrew, you know, if you are an active day trader, you can anchor to the 11.15 high and the 2.38 uh, in the afternoon low and find value. For for most normal people who aren't doing that, um, you know, from an earning anything that you know where we see a shift in supply and demand. So as you mentioned, swing high and swing low, those are really important levels. So today, right now, gold is bouncing from the anchored volume weighted average price to the 2022 low. It has stopped dead in its tracks at that point. It doesn't mean it's going to stay there. But so far, it stopped dead in its tracks at that low, uh, at that volume-weighted average price mm-hmm. from the November low. So swing high and swing low. Price has memory. People are looking at that's where the move up began. I want to buy more gold as it approaches that average price. If I can buy it there, then I will be able to, you know, uh, tell my investors, I've done a good job buying this stock. I paid the average for it. I didn't pay more. Um, earnings reports. So we're just, you know, getting through the end of earnings season. There's a bunch of stocks that we see, you know, they gap up or they gap down. And who takes, you know, who has control from that? So what I'll do is I'll go to an intraday time frame. let's say you know, 30 minute candles of the last two months. And I'll anchor, set my anchor right to the start of where the earnings gap occurred. And for two or three days, you might see a battle fought around that level. But then four to five days later, you'll see that that volume-weighted average price anchored to the event, the the earnings report, will become precise. It, it, it is sometimes like 25-26 versus 25-27. It blows my mind, like I said. But it'll be pr- you know pretty darn close to uh, dead on support or resistance. So earnings are a huge catalyst. Um, and then, one of and the then, best. Then, I want to just add something. So let's take that further. Let's just keep. I want to visual. I want to create a visualization. We have more time that goes by, and then we have the 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 anchored VWAP. And by the way, just to be clear, so everybody can envision this as well. You have a chart. You have prices, whether it's candles or whatever it is, uh, and then you have a point. In, in this case, Brian said it was the gap up of a stock price after an earnings report. And then it continues to draw a line on the 
anchor on the V. Now the VWAP. So we got the anchor on the left, right? And now we got a line yep. that's being drawn over time. Think of it like, uh, think of it like a, uh, oh, give me a second here, breadcrumb trail. Like when I'm on my what? boat, a breadcrumb, a breadcrumb trail. trail is what it is. Sure. Is what it is. It's a breadcrumb trail of where the VWAP was. You know, that's like my boat. We always look at a breadcrumb trail of what we were. We keep it on the chart, by the way, so we can know where we were when we were fishing, right? Oh, we were in this area over here last week. Um, it's a breadcrumb trail or a line that is drawn on the chart, and that line will do one of a few things. It's going to be either, and probably never been, straight horizontal across, not going to be the case. It's going to be tilting up, maybe up and down, up and down, up, but it's going to move or down. Now, that is something I want you to discuss. What happens now? when we have an anchored VWAP on the gap up of an earnings, right? On a 30 minute chart over time. And now that line is starting to slope down. What does that tell you? It tells me that money is flow net flowing out of the stock since that event, since that earnings report. Mm -hmm. It means the average long participant is now losing money. The average short position is is in a better spot. They're gaining money. So the sellers are in control from that beginning point. That's not what you want to see, obviously, yeah. as most people are, you know, 95% of people are, you know, long only traders. Um, and I prefer long trades as well. That's why I, you know, like uh, earnings reports because um, they often provide great, uh, you know, uh, roadmap for what might be coming you know, with the stock, uh, you know, especially with a positive earnings surprise, how do you get involved? So it creates that it's a cumulative line. It's, it's a, it's an average price weighted by volume and it moves. So in a way it's a moving average, but it's, it's not like a simple or an exponential moving average where the old data drops off and gets replaced with new data. It's cumulative from that point because we had this event that changed the supply and demand dynamics and people, you know, rushed to change their opinion about this stock. So now we say, you know, from that point, that's the equilibrium point. Above that line, as it unfolds, as it develops in a cumulative way on the chart, who's in control, mm -hmm. gaining control or losing control. Right, right. But so, so it, 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 if you understand the basic tenets of this, it does give you some really good insights. Now, does it work exactly? There could be a lot of things that happen, right? You have an increasing line or a line that's that's moving vertically higher, and all of a sudden, a CEO resigns, or, or who knows what happens. You know, things happen. But the point is to give yourself an edge, or at least give yourself the chance, a chance to 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 go into the direction of what's happening. And when we look at what's going on right now against all odds, back to the idea of fundamental analysis, combining and teaming up with technical, with a market that has been pretty much relentless in 2023, um, you know, you don't want to fight the Fed, but you also don't want to fight the market. So right now those things are colliding. Yeah. So, you know, a very important one is the year to date anchored volume weighted average price. So the SPY right now is at 412.13. And the volume weighted average price from the beginning of the year is at $400.26. So we're about 3% above that average price. So, you know, if we don't rally from here, I don't think it's, you know, if we don't break higher from this point, 
I think it's a good, I think that if we pull back to that year to date anchored volume weighted average price, there's likely to be a very strong bid there because people, you know, a lot of institutions, you know, right from the gate, they weren't positioned properly for a strong rally like this. And now they're behind in terms of their performance. And rather than FOMO purchase up here, 3% extended away from that anchored Mm -hmm. volume weighted average, the average price that the market is traded at, they don't want to, you know, get bad prices and, you know, they might lose their job if they underperform and and underperform the VWAP at the end of the year. So they want to be smart about their purchases. And if it pulls back, let's say we get a bad, you know, well, we just had PPI this morning, but let's say we get some kind of bad economic news that drops the market down towards that 400 level. I think that you're likely to see a very strong bid there because the people, the fund managers who are underweighted, and you see this market up, you know, semiconductors are up 25%. Um, you see this market up as much as it is, they will scramble to get big positions filled near that year-to-date anchored volume-weighted average price because that's their benchmark for the year. So when you talk about why does the year-to-date anchored volume-weighted average price matter, you think about a a fund manager who runs the semiconductor uh, fund and he comes in underweighted for the year. The semiconductors are up 25% year-to-date and now the uh, you know, we're the volume weighted average price for the year is 234 and we're at 249. So if it pulls back to that, you better believe they're going to try to buy as much as they can down there or under it mm-hmm. if possible to get so that at the end of the year, when they get, you know, their performance day is up and the market, you know, the semis are up 50% year to date and you're only up, you know, 37%. You underperformed. You did a bad job. But if you can make smart purchases below the volume weighted average price, um, you know, maybe sell some of your higher price ones as they get two standard deviations away or whatever it might be, and then repurchase them lower and create that alpha for the fund. Well, then you're going to get a big bonus. You're going to keep your job. And, you know, it's the competitive nature of uh, even the fund managers have to perform each year. Mm. It is, it is a pretty, again, back to the idea that why do you certain use certain things is because everybody else is. And there is something to be said about basically just flowing with the crowd, you know, just going with the flow and, you know, not fighting it. And there's sometimes that you'll make good money fighting it, right? But it's, but oftentimes it's, it's a very difficult process, even though, like you said, we saw things like, you know, PPI, CPI. Uh, more hawkish Fed markets don't seem to give a crap right now. And you could argue that, which I have, uh, which you could argue that like, hey, listen, you know what? We got to be careful in this particular area or this particular situation. Um, and then all of a sudden everybody's just buying anyway. And then you can start saying, like, why is that? And you go through this mental contortion of trying to figure out what's happening rather than just saying, you know what? It's an uptrend and we'll respect that. Only I mean, price pays. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, exactly. All right, Brian, I appreciate you coming on board today. Uh, we're going to put the information on how to get your book, uh, how to find you uh, on the show notes of this episode, episode number 804, over on the disciplinedinvestor.com. So everybody can get it. I highly recommend that you put this book on, on not on your shelf, for goodness sakes, on your table. Open it up, read it, then put it on your shelf, then open it up and read it again, by the way, because this is one of those things that is utilized as an educational tool, but also a textbook style where you can go back to it and understand 
um, you know, some of the dynamics of what's happening in the market. Because like I said, and Brian confirmed this, it's a lot about psychology. And if everybody's like, oh, I wish I had a crystal ball, right? How many times have you heard that, right? Yep. This is as close as you can get. Charting is as close as you can get if you utilize the right dynamics on it to a crystal ball for the markets. Would you agree with that? It, it allows you to get, gain insight into where other participants might take action. And then you wait for your price confirmation in that area. And then you participate once you have the confirmation. So it's, you know, the, the book is really heavy geared towards psychology and it's not I have no psychology degree. It's, you know, what I've learned from the market. It's plain English like we're speaking right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and risk management. Those are t- two uh, um, sections in each chapter, risk management and psychology. Why does it work this? <clears throat> excuse me. Why does it unfold this way? Why does it, it happen? And so that you can understand it. Once you have that, you have the confidence that you can look at the market, understand what's going on uh, based on price action. And if you don't like it, well, then stand aside or trade smaller with uh, tighter stops and mm-hmm. manage risk and, right. and, you know, realize that our opinions at the end of the day don't mean much. Yeah. And especially the guys on CNBC and all that don't mean much either. <laughs> I mean, I, I used to enjoy watching them from just the filler of time. Like, uh, I don't know, you know, sometimes at night and all that. I, I, I just can't take it anymore. I just can't. It's I just, honestly, I don't even know what channel it is on my television. It's terrible. It's a terrible I, channel. I haven't watched it in years. Yeah. It just, it, it, and I'm not saying it's, I can't tell you whether it's bad or not, but I know that it didn't help me to make money. And I'm interested, I'm not interested in the academic debates. I'm interested in how do I use this information to help me make money? Yeah. And and I never found anything on that channel that actually helped me make money. So why, you know, why would I listen to it exactly. when, when this is my job to make money? Exactly. Exactly. Brian Shannon of alphatrends.net, as well as the author of uh, the latest book, Maximum, uh, Maximum Trading Gains with Anchored VWAP, the perfect combination of price, time, and volume. Thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. Great being on as always. Thanks. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this show. Thank you so much for joining me this week and every week. Brian was awesome, wasn't he? (laughs) I think that the information that he provided right there and the understanding of that. And and if you can marry that with a chart in front of you and taking a look at his book, I think you'll understand some of the power of volume-based analysis when looking at charts. That's basically what we do, by the way, all the time. We're only looking at volume-based analysis because none of it else really matters to me at all. I want to understand the footprints in the sand. I want to understand the internal x-ray of what institutionals are doing and individuals at what price rather than trying to guess some other level. The old-fashioned volume that sits on the bottom of your chart is useless, in my opinion, because it doesn't give you really any incremental information about where those buys are happening at what price in totality. And it's nice to see, but it's not useful. Anyway, thanks for joining me this week and every week. I will see you again next week. Tune in, tell your friends. Thanks so much. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. 
Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.